Hi, I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and the bronze is where I go to get my scorn on, too. Small world. We're here today to talk about Beneath You, the second episode of season seven. It aired on October 1st, 2002, and was written by Doug Petrie with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as executive story editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as story editor. This episode was directed by Nick Mark, who has kind of had a hell of a run with great Buffy episodes manning the station behind Something Blue, Fool for Love, Checkpoint, Life Serial, and Double Meat Palace. I know. Double Me Palace was not a favorite episode of Buffy, but Mark pulled off a hell of an homage to Soylent Green, and even though it didn't work for me in the grand scheme of Buffy, it was impressive directorial work. Despite being written by Doug Petrie and directed by Nick Mark, who are two of my favorite Buffy creatives of all time, Beneath You has always been among my least favorite episodes of season seven, and as I critically took in the actual movement of the story, which isn't terrible... I finally realized why. It's exposition-y as fuck. Now, let me state up front. This is backstory exposition, which is the worst kind. Not world-building exposition, which is a necessary evil. For example, traditionally through the run of Buffy, Giles has been our world-building exposition fairy, explaining the demons and the spells and how we defeat the episodic bad guy. It's not a great role to be saddled with, but Anthony Stewart had made it sing, and our writers were amazing at making exposition as light and tight as possible. Backstory exposition, sometimes it is a little bit necessary, but here... We spend so much time in this episode explaining the backstory of Buffy to our audience, even though this episode, like every other episode, opens with a previously on segment, which also explains all that stuff. More than in any other episode, I can recall off the top of my head, and feel free to correct me at chipperish.com forum if I'm wrong, we have these clunky info dumps of as-you-know-Mary dialogue, which is what happens when two people who were there for the entire history of what's being discussed start explaining it to each other. As you know, Mary, Xander left Anya at the altar. As you know, Mary, Anya's a vengeance demon now. As you know, Mary, Dawn kissed a vampire last year. All of which you know, Mary... Because you've watched the show, Mary. AYKM dialogue makes me nuts because a skilled writer, and there are few writers in the known universe as skilled as Doug Petrie, can use context clues to get the basic information across and will trust the audience to put the rest of the pieces together. Instead, the choice here was to introduce Nancy, who served as the backstory mule, so that our team of regulars could explain everything to her and, by proxy, to the audience. Now... I don't like to assign blame and motivation in situations that I know nothing about. Well, actually, yeah, I do that. I do it a lot, and I know it sucks, and it's stupid, and I shouldn't do it, and I'm trying to keep a lid on it. But the only explanation for this that I can think of is that some idiot at the network decided that Buffy wasn't getting enough new viewers in this, its final season, and went in and clumsily monkeyed with Doug Petrie's script. I'm not saying that's what happened. I don't know what happened. But it's the only viable explanation for all of these clunky turds of backstory being dumped all over a Petrie, Kirshner, Greenberg script because these writers are all incredibly gifted. And this is kind of Bush League bullshit. And if you want to know the difference between bad backstory turds and skillful backstory revealed through context, just fast forward to the end of this episode when Buffy and Spike are talking in the church. 
It's a bit long, it's a little self-indulgent, but it's pretty damn powerful all the same. So yeah, I have realized that I don't like Beneath You because it offends me as a writer. But there's some good stuff here. You know, some good stuff. All right, let's get into the weeds. In Beneath You, Buffy starts her new job, and the first thing she does is go to the basement to look for Spike. Read into that what you will. Willow is nervous about going back to Sunnydale, and Giles is all, your cab is here, let's not be rude. A woman named Nancy makes a casual wish about her abusive ex being a worm, and Anya makes it so, turning him into a demonic worm that eats dogs, which is really the worst kind of worm. Xander develops a crush on Nancy and also a deep need to explain absolutely everything that has ever happened in Sunnydale to her, with the exception of maybe the hyena thing. Spike shows up acting all weird but slightly less insane and seems to want to help. And we know this because he says some variation on I'm just here to help no less than four times throughout the run of the episode. Dawn tells Spike that if he touches Buffy, he'll wake up on fire and oh my god, I love Dawn. Anya reverses the demon worm spell just as Spike starts to lose his mind again and then he accidentally skewers a human and it's all really downhill from there. And finally, Buffy realizes that Spike got his soul back and doesn't openly say that a vampire seeking his soul out is better than one being cursed with his soul, but let's face it, it's what we're all thinking. From beneath you, it devours. The creepy theme of our shadowy big bad is continuing through this week's cold open, which sees a very cool pink-haired girl being chased through the streets of Frankfurt, Germany by hooded figures, and then being brutally murdered with a curvy, bedazzled knife that might have been better off kept in the shadows. I'm just saying. The victim turns her head to look into the camera and say, from beneath you, it devours. And then we're in Buffy's room as she wakes up from yet another clairvoyant dream. I have to say, my affection for the phrase beneath you comes from another Doug Petrie script, Fool for Love, in which Spike told Buffy the story of how he killed two slayers, and she told him that he was beneath her. There's also another Beneath reference from much early in the show, and I'm not going to bring that up until we get there because it is incredibly relevant and, you know, spoilers. But it's cool, and when we get to the monster of the week who also devours from Beneath, I like that thematic symmetry. Sadly, the thematic symmetry is about the only thing we've got going for our monster of the week, the decidedly less than scary Ronnie the Slugoth Demon of the Ohio Slugoth Demons who apparently retains enough of his old personality to be obsessed with his ex-girlfriend to the point where he'd kill her dog. And I have to say, the dead dog? It's kind of a baller move. Any writers out there in the still pretty audience will know that you can do all manner of dark things. You can rack up a human body count in the dozens. But if you kill a dog? Anya, that thing you created burst through solid pavement and ate her dog. Oh, puppy. Wait. That gets your sad noise? People's lives are in danger and you give it up for the Yorkie? I'm just saying, it's a daring thing to hurt a dog. Animals are code for the most vulnerable of innocents. And when you hurt one or kill one, it gets attention. People freak out. Now granted, in a Whedon world where we just suffered the loss of one of our most beloved characters, a world in which no one is safe, a world in which our titular heroine bit it not once, but twice, of course, it didn't stick either time, but still. In this kind of story space, a dog being killed maybe doesn't garner quite as much attention and outrage as it might somewhere else. But here's the thing. It's still a bold move, and it's just one more reason why season seven feels so tonally different from the rest of Buffy. 
which is just part of the reason why I kind of love it. This stuff is bold. We're not screwing around here anymore. Buffy is getting serious. Spike, have you completely lost your mind? Well, yes. Where have you been all night? We're getting some interesting, weird, inconsistent Spike in this episode, but I don't care because we're getting Spike. You can blame some of the inconsistencies on the influence of the contraindicated school basement evil combined with the recently acquired soul, but even with those considerations, Spike swings wildly from the vampire we all know and love to an almost unrecognizable weirdo who exists to serve up plot mechanisms, backstory exposition, and bad jokes. We get the stealth conversation bomb when he somehow manages to open the front door and walk into Buffy's house without knocking and without anyone in the living room apparently noticing, and then jumps right into the hellmouthy chit-chat like it's a game of double dutch. Does having a soul make a vampire preternaturally quiet? Able to walk through solid objects like doors and walls? Invisible until you have something to add to the conversation in progress? World building, y'all. Shit's complicated. All right, nitpicking aside, Spike pops in and out of character so much in this episode as to be almost useless when it comes to analysis, because none of it makes any sense. He's insane in the basement with Justin Timberlake hair, and then a few hours later, he's properly peroxided for his stealth conversation bomb. He's shame-filled and repenty about his former behavior, but when Anya recognizes his soul, he hits her and tries to convince Buffy that he's back to his old ways. Except hitting Anya was never something Spike would have done, whether she's demon or human. He could always talk to Anya. He could have just taken her aside and said, please don't say anything, and Anya would have gotten it because she's smart. And then we could have had a nice, quiet, subtle moment with Buffy wondering what's going on instead of this ridiculous, over-the-top fight scene with Anya and Buffy in the bronze. Then, after he skewers Ronnie with a broken piece of fire escape ladder, he loses it completely, and we get him twirling the piece in the alleyway like some sort of vaudeville performer. Look, I get that promo people need something fun for the teaser spots, but Spike is being tormented by his soul and some shadowy evil. Why is he suddenly channeling Ray Bolger? But we do have a couple of good Spike moments in this episode. One, when he and Buffy briefly touch, and they both flash back to the attempted rape. I could have lived without the actual, literal, visual flash to the memory, but the tension, the sadness, and the discomfort between them is really nice. Then they go and ruin it with the, as you know, Buffy, I tried to rape you conversation, but whatever. The other good moment happens right after he accidentally skewers Ronnie, and he's in tormented spike mode again for a brief but lovely bit before he becomes a vaudeville weirdo for the promo people. And of course, at the end of the episode, in the church, when he talks to Buffy and gives it all away. It goes on too long, it's gross in some places and self-indulgent in others, but when he says, why does a man do what he mustn't, it's powerful. Buffy's quiet realization is powerful. We get a little drama queenie when he leans on the cross and starts to sizzle like a bratwurst on a barbecue, but with a good edit, this scene could have been amazing. And let's make sure it's said, some of the Spike stuff is good, a lot of it is dreadful, but James Marsters kills it all along, no matter how bad the material he's given. James Marsters, y'all. James Marsters. Well, I can't take you in a fight or anything, even with a chip in your head. But you do sleep. If you hurt my sister at all, touch her, you're going to wake up on fire. Because we waste so much time in this episode expositing backstory, there isn't a whole lot of anything else going on. We don't have a story at all for Dawn, and almost nothing of substance to the Xander has a crush on Nancy thing. 
What we are getting are the Dawn and Xander that have inspired me to defend them both so fervently throughout their less than stellar moments in the past. Dawn is no longer the helpless kid sister whining because she doesn't get enough attention. Aside from one bad moment, which we're ignoring because this episode is kind of bad and there's a point where it's just kicking a skewered worm demon. But the Dawn we're seeing now, strong, capable, powerful, and protective, this is the Dawn that I remember and the Dawn I'm so happy to see again. We get some similar moments with Xander. Those kids are damn lucky having a Slayer and a friend on campus there for them. I hope they appreciate it. I know I did. Xander's role as the heart of the Scoobies has been on again and off again, but now we are firmly on again. His ability to connect with the gooey emotional center of everyone and anyone, to see the best qualities in the people around him, and then make an effort to reflect those qualities back so that the person can see them too. This is my Xander. Look, I'm not going to say that funny and cute don't matter. Funny and cute have bought Xander an almost unacceptable amount of slack from me. But what makes Xander Xander isn't his sense of humor or his really nice smile. It's his heart. It's his ability to love people so completely. As long as he's not dating them, fair enough. I'm not saying he's perfect, but for six seasons I've defended Xander, and this, this is why. And while we're on the topic of awesome... Same file, I'm, it's not cheating, I just embellish. Well, you can unembellish now. Bite me, Harris. We don't get much Anya in this one, but what we get is fun and challenging and smart. One of my favorite Anya moments in all of Buffy is when she's able to see Spike's soul. It's quickly followed up with one of the worst moments from Spike, but ugh, I just gotta stop kicking the skewered worm demon. Moving on. Is there anyone here that hasn't slept together? Look, at least we're all bipeds, which is more than I can say for Ronnie the Worm Boy. Okay, so I think we've established Beneath You is not a great episode. So my stated purpose of making season seven a little more palatable for those who don't like it points to the haters on this one. You guys win. However, I would like to hold up the Anya, Xander, Dawn, and some of the spike we get in this episode in defense of the entire season. We've got some great rumbling evil swirling beneath the surface of Sunnydale. We've got Willow on her way home from England. We've got Anya showing her teeth and veins as a vengeance demon. And now Buffy knows what's going on with Spike. Maybe this episode didn't do it all elegantly, but it did inch some chess pieces forward and kept the game going. And that's not nothing. All right, that's it for now. But I'll see you next time with Season 7, Episode 3, Same Time, Same Place. There's some material there I can definitely work with. It's gross and horrifying, but it's, you know, material. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a chipperish media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Chipperish.